0: Welcome to Bites of History with Irene Walton. I am your host, Irene Walton. Have you ever wondered how it made it to your table? Have you ever wondered how it made it to your shelf? If you love food, then this is the show for you. Bites of History with Irene. Right up at the top, let's have a quick shout out to all of our sources for today's first ever two-part Episode. Just a quick thank you to wikipedia.com, storymaps, archist.com, stacker.com, gizmodo.com, mentalfloss.com, the conversation.com, lockhaven.edu, thewashingtonpost.com, Vox.com, eposnow.com, dailymail.uk.com, spendmenot.com, and retaildive.com. Thank you guys so much for providing all of your information. I wouldn't be able to do this episode without you. And thanks to this week's sponsor, my mom who paid for my gas this week. Shout out Amy. Thank you so much. Love you so much. Okay. <laughs> I can't wait till I get a like a sponsor who is paying for this and they're going to be like, "Can you just like thank us properly?" This is a fun exciting episode because it is our first ever two-parter. So we are going to dive into the history and inventions and whirlwind that is how grocery stores began. And then next week, we're going to talk about all the grocery store conspiracies and crazy strategy and all of that fun stuff, which I'm so excited for both. I learned so much researching this episode. You have no idea. So I cannot wait to share that information with you. Let's dive in with when and how did grocery stores start? So what we know is our first modern grocery store is thanks to a man named Clarence Saunders in 1916 with the first ever Piggly Wiggly, which separately is my favorite name of anything that's ever been named in the world, which was in Memphis, Tennessee. This was so notable because it was the first ever self-service grocery store. But to understand why that's so important, we have to rewind a little bit. Before this time, getting groceries was an event. It's hard to imagine because of what we know now, but grocery shopping used to be a very like social moment. Like we learned in our butter episode, like customer sized portions of things were not just available to pick up in aisles like they are now. So you had a literal grocer that was dishing out butter portions to you. You'd tell him I want a pound of butter and he would wrap it up for you. And so it was very much a one-on-one kind of experience. So if there wasn't a lot of grocers working, then there weren't a lot of people being helped. In fact, most of the time you would hand your grocery list to the grocer and they would go get all the items for you, bag them up. It was very, very much a tailored experience to you and what you needed. But that was also only at certain stores because if you wanted meat, you had to go to the butcher, which was a different store. If you wanted bread, you'd go to the baker, different store. If you wanted produce, you'd go to the greengrocer, different store. And more perishable items like dairy would be delivered to your door. And that's where milkmen come from because they would literally have milk, drive it from the dairy to your door, which was like, if we think about it, kind of like a first ever subscription service. But anyway. You're probably thinking, okay, well, if I have to go to the butcher and the baker and the candlestick maker to get my fucking groceries, what are the, what's the grocery store then? So the grocery store is basically just canned food and dry goods. But canned food was pretty amazing at this time. This was kind of the first way for a lot of people who had mid to low level incomes to have foods that were only available fresh to the wealthy only a few years before. So grocery stores were very important, but it was a whole day of going to different places and getting different things and waiting for your grocer to be able to help you. Now, what was so important about what Clarence Saunders did in 1916 was he allowed the shopper to do their own picking. So he would create these aisles and line the shelves that were on them with many options that were available to pick up and look at. So shoppers got more interested. Like when you can pick something up and look at it and hold it in your hands, it's a lot more likely that you're gonna buy something. And this self-service model allowed for fewer workers to be working, which kept the wage costs down. Business owners are always wanting to keep their wage costs down. And the self-service grocery store was really, really tempting because in World War I, when rationing started to happen, prices of everything started to increase. So if they could keep their wage costs down with fewer workers, that was definitely a lot better for them and gave them a fighting chance. Now as self-service stores spread, people played around with their own ideas all over the country. There was actually a store in LA called Alpha Beta, which had everything in the store alphabetically listed around the store. So it would be like apples and then bananas and then cereal and then dog food. Like, which I think is very cute. That one ended up closing. But it was cute. So now let's fast forward to 13 years later in 1929. We are at a place where about a third of all grocery stores are now self-service, but these were still mostly dry canned goods that hadn't been scaled to more departments. So that's when King Cullen of Jamaica, Queens, New York comes in in 1930, just a year later and was the first to really be considered a supermarket as it was selling thousands of items with different departments that included a bakery, a butcher, and a dairy. So these were all in one place now, and this is our first like supermarket grocery store that we are much more familiar with today. Now with the advancements in refrigeration in the 1920s, this type of shopping experience became much more popular and much more doable for business owners. Okay, here is a hilarious fact for you. If you wanted one, which I hope you do. If you remember our man, Clarence Saunders, he tried to introduce self-checkout in 1937. So like when you're at Whole Foods and you just have like a pound of pasta and three tomatoes that you want to check out and you go to self-checkout, Saunders tried to create this in 1937 and he called it the key doozle. (laughs) It was called the Key Doozle. So it was this sort of weird vending machine type system. It definitely didn't look like what we are imagining in our heads right now thinking of self-checkout. But it really was an innovation. But it was one of these inventions that while it is very cool and I think amazing that he was trying to come up with it in 1937, you needed more people working on it to fix it than it was doing any good in the actual stores. So it didn't end up working out, but it was hilarious and I wish we still called self-checkouts Key Doozles. Anyway, there was a very chill invention that came out of 1937 that I'm going to give you a second to guess before I tell you, because I was shocked learning this. What do you think came out of 1937? I will tell you in three, two, one. The shopping cart. Doing this podcast is just a constant reminder of something I think about all the time anyway. Which is just like so many things that I just, that just exist in my life needed to be invented. You think I've ever thought about when a shopping cart was invented? Sure didn't. But in 1937, Sylvan Goldman was like, give me a minute. So here's what happened. So it's 1937 and Sylvan Goldman realized that his grocery store customers were heading up to the registers as soon as their little small woven baskets were full. Or if they were too heavy. And he realized that he needed to change something. So he's home and he's thinking about it. And he's sitting around and he's looking around his house and he sees a folding chair. And he is, oh my God, light bulb moment. Give me that chair. Let me put two baskets on it, on the sitting part and the bottom part, like where your little feet rest. And this was basically the first shopping cart. Obviously, it wasn't actually on a folding chair, and he added wheels to the bottom, but it sort of looked like, if you've been to the Sprouts on Santa Monica Boulevard, (laughs) they have what looks like these. So it's like a littler, it just looks like two baskets on like a walker. And that's kind of what our first shopping cart looked like. But what was interesting about it was that the shopping cart was basically just a framework that you could actually fold up like accordion style. So they were really, really small and not very wide at all. And then when you were ready to get your cart, you would take it out, open it up and put two baskets where they were supposed to sit. So you now have the ability to fill up two baskets and push it around. So you can now have double the capacity, and you're not worried about holding too many things and having your arms give out on you. Which I don't has never happened to me, of course. Cut to two weeks ago at the Sprouts on Santa Monica Boulevard. <laughs> okay, but here is the kicker, because there always has to be one. What invention is an invention without somebody being annoying? What Sylvan Goldman was not expecting was that men and women were both too proud to use these new carts. And it's crazy because they made so much sense. But men didn't want to use them because they were like, I'm too strong. I don't need to push my basket around. And women didn't want to use them because they were so tired of pushing around baby strollers that they were like, I don't want to push around another thing in my life. Let me just do my grocery shopping. Sylvan was like, well, I know that this is a good idea. What can I do to make these people use the cart? So what he did was he hired very good looking women to be like, oh, sir, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a cart that you could use. And he's like, I don't care. I'm too strong. So Sylvan's like, damn it, if that's not working, what do I do? So then what he does is he hires attractive men and attractive women to actually use the carts. And those first attractive women that he hired are like, oh, sir, would you like to use a cart? And then he's like, no, I don't want to use a cart. And she's like, oh, that's so crazy. Look at all of these beautiful women and handsome men that are walking around the store with carts. And then everybody was like, okay, I'll use a cart. (laughs) When I was talking to my friends, Riley, Elizabeth and Daniel, they they were like, oh, my God, these were the first influencers. (laughs) Just hot people using something and then other people want to use it. And that's exactly right. Peer pressure was a very valuable commodity in the shopping cart industry. So that's how we got our shopping carts, which is now allowing us to buy double the amount of stuff at grocery stores. So they're becoming even more important to us. Let's fast forward 35 years, now it's 1972. We find out that grocery stores are elongating their hours. A lot of them are pushing their hours to 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And while this is costing a lot more money, it's also growing their customer loyalty, which was priceless, because these stores are getting more and more products that they can have. So when a customer knows that they can stop by their local Kroger at 3 a.m. on their way home from a road trip, That's priceless. Like that kind of loyalty is huge. I'm 100% certain that every single person listening to this podcast has a favorite store that they go to because they know where everything is. They know that they're going to be open. And that is gold to the grocery industry. Okay, let's fast forward even a little bit more. It's 1989. This shocked me. In 1989, we have our first online grocery delivery service, which is crazy because like my understanding is they didn't get really popular until a couple of years ago because they're on our apps. Oh my God, I'm going to sound so old (laughs) because they're on our smartphones. We have apps for them. You can just open it up, order, and it gets delivered to your house. Well, in 1989, Peapod was way ahead of the game. Granted, there were definitely a few more steps to get the groceries to your house, but you could install a software on your computer and place your orders at certain jewel grocery stores, which was the name, and then they would have them delivered to your door. What also blew my mind is that Peapod stayed around and stuck around all the way up until 2020. So they were like a f- 40? 30. They were like a 30 year long business. Incredible. Good for you, Peapod. By 2009, after hundreds and hundreds of mergers with smaller grocery stores being purchased by the big four, we are left with a majority of grocery stores being owned or being some subsidiary of Walmart, Kroger, Costco, and Super Value. These are the four that own half the sales in America. Of course, there are other smaller grocery stores and a lot of different little ones and specialty shops. That's the other thing. Around the early 2010s, people are starting to realize like, oh, so much of our stuff is, you know, so widely available. Maybe I want more specialty salami. Maybe I want more specialty bread. So smaller grocery stores definitely have their place, but there is definitely some magic in these super stores that we have because that's the only place that a lot of people can get healthy, fresh fruits and vegetables and be able to make a meal. So these grocery stores... While yes, they are huge and they are in a lot of places and have, uh, you know, unfortunately taken over some mom and pop shops, it's important to have them around. And I, for one, love the grocery store. I think that there is a time and place for a big grocery store and a small one in a mom and pop shop and, you know, getting a birthday cake from Ralph's. Like, we're definitely going to dive a lot more into kind of the economics and, well, let's be clear, it's me. So like, very light economics and very light science, but we're going to learn a lot more about kind of the details of grocery stores as we know them today in our next episode, which will be out next Tuesday. And boy, oh boy, do we learn a lot. Like, have you ever noticed that the bread and the eggs are not next to each other in any grocery store literally ever, or why any of the smaller ice cream brands are always on the bottom shelves. We're gonna learn all about that next week in our first ever two-part episode. So I will see you guys then, and I cannot wait to take a bite out of history with you for that one. Okay, bye.